0: Let me just pray for a minute. Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that by your spirit, would you awaken us to the forgiveness that you offer us this morning. Would you awaken us to the reality of what you've done for us. And Father, would you soften us towards each other and towards your world, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, And one of the things I would observe as I go around and as I look at uh, different things, it seems to me, uh, from my perspective, to see that unforgiveness is everywhere. In actual fact, unforgiveness is to be celebrated in our culture. Unforgiveness is a thing that we hold on to with a great sense of triumph, whether it's revenge films, whether it's celebrating our dysfunction maritally or in our homes or in our workplaces or in our society. It's incredibly disheartening, certainly for me, it may not be for you, To see some of the debate, to see some of the way we're treating each other when we talk about Brexit. Bitterness, judgment, and incredibly unforgiving attitudes and cultures seem to be generated. You may have been in this church 60 years, you may have just come to the church in the last uh, year or so. But actually, I've been here two and a half years, and I would say with fairly degree of certainty that I've had more conversations about our struggle to forgive than anything else. As a live issue for us, how do we forgive one another? Whereas people have put it to me like this, you know, we all have histories, and we're still in the same family. How do we forgive? How do we forgive? Most of us would find that the way we forgive, or we think we forgive, is what we, well, we're just going into self-protection mode. We run away. We avoid people. We tolerate, at going to be a bit bold this morning. Tolerance is not a gospel word. Loving your enemies is. And so what I'd like to suggest to you is one of the things that lies ahead of us is an opportunity to discover a fresh God's amazing love, but also discover the power of forgiveness. Not just for your sake, but your family's sake, and this community's sake, and for the city of Bath's sake. We're looking at this incredibly famous passage in Luke 15 over the next few weeks and we have done up to here. And it is a story, just for me to nail my colours to the mast, it is a story of two lost sons and a loving father. It's a passage that encapsulates, many theologians would say, it's a place you go to to look at, say, what is the heart of Christianity? What is the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ that Christians want to communicate and get across to this world? Actually, one of my prayers is that as part of looking at this, I don't know what you would say if someone in your workplace, someone, your friends, someone in your family who knows nothing about Christians, who knows nothing about Jesus, and says to you, do you know, Fred, Margaret, whatever, why, you, why are you a Christian? One of my prayers is that you would find, as part of looking at this passage and something else, you'd find something that we could say with a little bit more confidence about who God is and what he's done for us and why it is we believe in Jesus. There's still four copies of this book that I want to recommend to you. You don't need to pay for it. If you want to explore that in discovering the heart of the Christian faith, I really recommend it. It's challenging, it's easy to read, but it's got lots of good things in it. Uh, one Sunday, um, during a sermon, the preacher at this particular service asked his congregation, he got, you know, wanted a bit of interaction, and he said to them, how many people here are willing to forgive their enemies? That was not asking you, but I wonder whether, uh, what we'd have. And actually, in this particular congregation, everybody pretty much raised their hand, apart from one lady. Mrs. Jones sat there, not raising a the hand, there a church that had grown up with this idea that loving your enemies was at the heart of the Christian good news. And she said, Mrs. Jones, why aren't you willing to forgive your enemies? She sat there and she responded as he asked her, said, Well, I don't have any enemies. But Mrs. Jones said the preacher to this lady, she said, You're 93 years old. How come you have no enemies? How is this possible after 93 years to have no enemies? It's easy, she said. I simply outlived them all. (laughs) Here's a quote from um, someone called Dr. Sheila Casti. She was a survivor of torture during the Pinochet regime in Chile. And this is what she said as part of her experience of being a torture victim this. So can I only say this, however much we've been wronged, however justified our hatred, if we cherish it, it will poison us. Hatred is a devil to be cast out. And we must pray for the power to forgive, for it is in forgiving our enemies that we are healed. Let's look at this passage that we've got before us. Because actually one thing people agree is that this passage at its heart, that we're looking at in Luke 15, has forgiveness at its heart. And as we think about this, I wonder whether you think, what kind of, what kind of community would we be? What would Swithens look like if we took forgiveness seriously? So firstly, forgiveness is Proactive. Notice first how the father runs to the son in this story and literally pounces on his son. The language that's used here literally means he fell on his neck and kissed him. This father falls on his neck and kisses his son. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're a father and you're standing on your porch and you're on your porch and you see your son in the distance and basically your son has been as selfish, self-indulgent, spoilt, um, ridiculously arrogant, has taken your money and has squandered it on prostitutes with incredibly bad choices on self He's coming up the hill towards you. Well, it was a hill, but imagine that for a second. What would you be thinking if that son of yours came towards you? Well, you lot, being uh, very holy people, will probably say, well, you know what? This son is coming back. He's coming in repentance. Of course not. Actually, most would think he's coming back for more money. He's coming back for more money. I wonder whether if you're a parent, whether you recognize that, the kind of, uh, that ebb and flow of relationship with your children sometimes where you've seen it before and you come back again. Yet the father Not knowing what's in his son's heart. The father, not knowing what's in his son's heart, runs from his porch, falls on his son, and kisses him. And here's the first point The father does not make the son come to him and ask for forgiveness, he simply gives it. The father does not make the son come to him and ask for forgiveness. He simply gives it. It's proactive. God's forgiveness is proactive. He doesn't sit and say, well, if he wants to come to me, if my son wants to come to me and grovel in front of my my feet and repent and diminish himself in front of me, then I'll forgive him. Rather, what he does is he goes to the son. This father goes to the son. Without the condition of repentance, he forgives. He embraces I'd like to suggest to you today that's not how we tend to work, is it? Most of us tend to stand on our porches. We sell, well, she started it. He started it. If they want to make it right, well, that's fine. I'll happy talk to them if they come to me. Jesus says, no, you don't stand on your porch. You go to them, you forgive you reconcile, you offer love, you take the initiative. So today, see, if you've got somebody who has something against you or you have against somebody else, my challenge to you today is very, very clear. It's time to make it right. It's time to put it right. And it's always our move. It's always our move. doesn't matter who started it, doesn't matter who's more to blame. This is the problem with the world as we're in at the minute. We stand on our porches dispensing judgment, dispensing blame, dispensing condemnation, rather than reconciling and restoring. The world literally sinks to a hell because we sit on our porches waiting for the other person to move, to make the first move. Jesus says, my forgiveness my love is proactive. It takes the initiative. Give it. So, my challenge today, for example, to start with is this Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Fran need, obviously clearly needs to forgive me for taking her to London yesterday as a start. You know, we need to do a little bit of work. But more seriously, who do you need to forgive? If you're not sure, the answer to that question. Whose name, when you think about it, wells up inside you a level of emotional baggage that actually gets really uncomfortable? Is it an ex-husband or an ex-wife, your current husband or current wife? Children? A parent who abused you? A boss who's horrendous towards you? A colleague? A neighbor? This morning, it's our move. Secondly, forgiveness is costly. There are two ways in which this younger son has wronged his father. First, he's wronged him financially. He's taken his share, a third, of the estate away from the family uh, wealth and, and property. And he's gone and squandered this wealth on prostitutes. It's all gone. So he's permanently lowered this family's economic status. And any parents who are sat here will make nods to that of what it means to raise children permanently squandering or lowering our economic status. But he's also wronged his father by disgracing him. This, at the time this was written, it was a shame culture and an honor culture, something we have a little bit of a difficulty to understand in Bath in 2019, where we live in a very individualistic society. In that society, for a son to treat his father in that way meant the father had lost face significantly. He'd lost reputation and he'd lost respect from the community. And it was a tremendous blow. One of the ways we would talk about it in today's language is that he robbed his father of social capital. And that's the reason why when the son comes back, if you look at the story carefully when the son comes back, this son seeks to deal with the double debt that he knows he's done, both financially and socially with his father. He says, make me like one of your hard men, we see. The son wants to pay back his financial debt. Then secondly, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. See, he's trying to repay his social debt, the relational debt. I'm not going to assume I have a right to come back and for you to, to call you father and for me to be your son. I'm humiliating myself, groveling before you. But the father won't let him. The father won't let him. And here's the essence of what forgiveness is all about. First of all, we see, and if you read the commentators, you'll see that the father runs towards his son. And this was an incredibly demeaning thing for a father to do at that time. In those days, basically the way it worked is if you were inferior, the person who's superior to you stood still, and the person who's inferior ran towards you and the person who was superior stood still. What you have here is you have the absolute opposite. You have the father who runs towards his son, actually lifts up the robes of his skirt, which every commentator say was something that no patriarch in that society would ever do. You have a father who's getting beyond his pride, he's humbling himself. He's actually going through an extraordinary um, level of social... Um, going against the social norms, to reconcile with his son. And what does he do? As his son comes, he puts the robe on him, and he puts the ring on his finger, which we talked about briefly last week. So what we find here is the father in this story is taking the humiliation and he's absorbing the debt himself. He's taking the humiliation and absorbing the debt himself. And this is the essence of forgiveness. Because the thing is this, is when someone wrongs you, they have robbed you always. When someone wrongs you, they've robbed you always. So actually there is a debt to pay. Not just because someone's taken away financially from you, if that's the case, but it may be relationally, it may be your reputation, it may be your um, your happiness. But there is a debt when someone's wronged you. There is a debt, and there are two things you can do with a debt: you can pay it back, uh, or you can absorb. And um, um, sorry, you can force someone else to pay it back, or you absorb it yourself. And the father says here, "I'm going to absorb the debt." In other words, forgiveness is absorbing pain and injustice instead of inflicting it. I'd like to suggest to you this morning that our standard way of dealing with it when people wrong us is we find a way of repaying them. We may do that subtly. We may talk behind people's backs and slice up their reputation. Whether it's in a relationship or whether it's in a church or it's a workplace. If someone's wronged you, we find subtle ways of undermining them and trying to pay them back. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is absorbing the debt. Forgiveness is costly, it's sacrificial. Grace is not cheap. Grace is not cheap. But how do we get to that place if it's costly and it's like that and it's sacrificial and it's proactive? How do we find the power to, f- to forgive like that? How do we find the power that the Father has? We'll see in verse 24 it says, that, But while he was still a long way off, the Father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Throughout Jesus' life we see this word compassion again and again and again and again. It's a word that literally means to move from the very depths of your being in love for someone else. The father didn't stand on his porch and wait for his son to come to him. He was moved in compassion and ran out and kissed him. He ran out losing his dignity because his compassion led him to action. The thing is this, if people have wronged you and there won't be a single person here this morning who hasn't been wronged significantly in some way or other, if you've been treated badly in relationships, financially, workplace, other kind of things, it hurts, it really does hurt, when someone's wronged you, always. And what we do is, what we do, we don't to deal with that, is we find ways of trying to deal with that. So, well, for example, we say, do you know, I'm never gonna make myself vulnerable again to being hurt or damaged by other people. You know, I'm going to keep my distance from people. But guess what the father does? The father goes running to his son in order to forgive him, knowing that he might get hurt again. Remember, the Bible describes Jesus as a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. It also says of us that while we were God's enemies, Christ died for us. Do we see that this morning? Do we see that that Christ died for us? Jesus didn't lose his faith that he he went was stripped naked on a cross. Jesus was stripped naked on a cross for you and I. He came from heaven to earth knowing that he would die. He didn't just throw his arms around us. He bore his arms on a cross once and for all for us to be crucified. Why did he do all that for us? Why did he do all that for us? Because he was clearing and absorbing the debts once and for all. He was clearing and absorbing the debts once and for all. The Father doesn't stand on his porch and wait for us to get to heaven. He comes from heaven to earth. Instead of making us pay for our sins, he himself bears our sins on the cross. Absorbing our debt. Why does he do it? Why does Jesus do that? Why does God do that through Jesus? See, this is everybody here. If you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Lord literally throws his loving arms around you, falls on his neck, your neck, and kisses you. That's the love of the Father for you this morning. And Teresa Revere, who was a Christian, well-known Christian centuries ago, puts it like this. He said, When you experience the love of the Father like that, the welcome of the Father, the envelopment, embrace of the Father in a way like that, it makes like a it makes it, ta- it makes a thousand terrible lives of suffering look like one night in a bad hotel. So the question is this, if that's what we're called to if that's what Jesus has done for us, how are we going to be able to absorb the debts in our life? We're going to need an incredible amount of emotional strength and spiritual power to forgive other people. How do we get that? Where do we get that kind of power from, to forgive in the way that God forgives us? Really simplistic analogy, but it's this. If you have a trillion dollars in your bank account, a ten-pound debt is nothing. If you have a trillion dollars in your bank account, a ten-pound debt, relatively, is nothing. So, if you understand this morning what you have in Christ, that all your debts, past, present, and future, have been cleared, you're, heir, you're an heir of the riches of heaven. You're a child of the living God. You're a trillionaire. The blessings of God are yours. You're an heir of God. What could another person take from you? Reputation, money, opportunity, happiness? Yes, it hurts. But look what you've got in your account. Think of what you have in Christ, what Christ has done for you. If you really grasp what Jesus has done for you, In all your brokenness, all your sinfulness, all your weakness, you can live out God's forgiveness in your life. All grudges, to a greater or lesser degree, are based on some sense of superiority. You know, because actually we think, I would never do what this person did to me. I would never treat someone like they treat me. But if you understand the gospel... If you understand what God has done for us in Jesus, if you understand how lost we were that God would send his only son down a cross for us to save you, you can't look on other people with a sense of superiority and a sense of judgment. Forgiveness is you cancel the debt. So when the Father says in here, which we looked at last week, my son was dead, but he's alive. What he meant is this, he said, my son was dead to the community, he was dead to the family, and he was dead in relationship. Forgiveness, forgiveness resurrects that relationship, resurrects him to community, and resurrects him to family. And what are we asking? What am I saying this morning for us as a church at St. Swithans? Here's a couple of things just to finish. I'd like us to think about what it means to have a forgiving father heart at the heart of our church. And forgiveness is a resurrected life. And the first is this, if we've understood and grasped what God has done for us and what we're called to, it'd be this, is that restoration and relationship repair would happen all the time in our community, all the time. Out in the, per, out in the world, people generally, you know, don't pretend that there's no need for forgiveness, said, oh, I don't have resentment, I don't have grudges, I just don't spend any time with them. I just avoid them. I just don't want anything to do with the people. How do we know if we've got a grudge this morning? How do you know if there are grudges deep in our life? Here's one way you might want to think about it. If there's somebody in your life this morning who has hurt you or wronged you, and if you know their failure or their misfortune would bring you some happiness you have a grudge, and you have some forgiving to do this morning. Christians are people who live in a reality of the whole of our lives. We don't live in a fancy world where we pretend that we're not human and don't rub against people the wrong way and hurt other people. We recognize forgiveness is necessary, it's needed, and that we need to repair and heal relationships. And it needs to happen all the time. Do you know why? Because we're all different, but also we're all sinners and we rub against each other and do things to people um, that we wish they didn't. So we're going to constantly have to come back again and again to that place of reconciliation. Sorry needs to be a word in our language regularly. Otherwise, we're deluding ourselves about our resentment, and all we're doing is carrying a load of stuff around on our backs that we weren't called to carry. Secondly, St. Swithin's I'd say if we grasp God's forgiveness for us this morning, is people who are free from their past and are released to step into God's future for them. We're free from our past to step into our God-given future. When God saves you through Jesus Christ, the minute you believe in Christ, the determining factor in your relationship with God is not your past, it's not all the bad things you've done, it's Christ's past. It's not what you have done, it's what Christ has done. Do you know what that means? It means treating us in accordance with our great future now in Christ. Many of us may feel trapped or stuck in our past that we wish we weren't in. But Lewis Meads, who is a Christian philosopher, put it like this. He said this, there is only one thing that can release us from the grip of our history. That is forgiveness. A damaged and hurting person needs more than anything else to be released from their painful past. And that only happens if you forgive and you receive the Father's embrace this morning. I wonder this morning where you, you want to continue to be stuck in your painful past, reliving and replaying a painful past, like replaying the recording on your laptop again and again and again of the wrong that was done to you. Vengeance is having that recording and playing it again and again and again until it affects our souls. Playing that painful scene over and over again, and as someone famously put it, unforgiveness means that we allow other people to live rent-free in our heads. Forgiveness cleanses the hard drive. Forgiveness sets you free from your past. Forgiveness releases us into our God-given future. It's the only passage of God's plans and his future possibilities for us is to receive his forgiveness. And is the beauty and miracle of forgiveness that we enjoy in Christ. And that comes when we put our trust and our faith in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and his good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you this morning um, afresh for us as a church for all you do, have done, all you continue to do. Thank you for your saving grace. Thank you for giving us in the good news of Jesus the power to live resurrected lives free from our past of our own sin and others' sins towards us. And Father, I pray that you would help shape us into a church that is light, that is free from the weight and the baggage of the past. You would clear our debts and Lord you would help us to be people who are able to forgive other people in our marriages, in our families, in our workplaces, in the schools, Father, we pray that we would be a forgiving church and a forgiving people. Father, would you forgive us when we become critical, hard, judgmental, and where we cut other people off and isolate them. We ask, Lord, that you would help us grow in your love, that we'd be a people who bless others And enable others' relationships to flourish too. And help us to repair and to be healed in our relationships. Both within the church and also outside. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.